welcome back to the TT Podcast, uh, your source of news, nonsense, and sometimes genuine insight into the lycra-clad world of bike racing. My name is Tom. I'm joined by my co-host, also Tom. You all know the score by now. Uh, Tom, how are you? How are you feeling? Uh, well, been an interesting 24 hours because this morning I tested positive for COVID-19, so doesn't affect the podcast so the listeners don't have to worry because we record this from our respective bedrooms over the over the internet but uh i'm now isolating for the next 10 days at least and uh my office had to be evacuated this morning after i told them that i'd tested positive did it actually <laughs> yeah they did <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um well the good thing is um as you say on the tt podcast we are using the same two rider rule that they had at the tour de france so two of us have to get it before we uh we postpone the, the podcast. At the moment we're safe and i think for the good of the podcast you should also isolate while i am <laughs> isolate and watch all the bike racing how, how exactly. are you genu- are you genuinely feeling okay though i feel fine slight cough very minor cough so if you do hear me cough in the next half an hour please uh, allow it basically and, i think i'm uh, sure people can make a concession for it yeah otherwise at the moment i've got no other symptoms so i'm yeah a lot better off than a lot of people have been Okay, that's good. That's good to hear. Well, obviously not good to hear that you're COVID positive, but good to hear that you're feeling well. Yeah. Um, shall we do a little recap of what's uh, what's been going on in the world of bike racing? Um, well, it's been quite an eventful week. I think it absolutely has. Um, should we start, kind of, I say start with, get it out of the way. The Bink Bank Tour wasn't really one that, you know, people see on their calendars and pencil the date in and get really excited about well the dutch authorities did their best to get it out of the way by, <laughs> uh, by just cancelling any, any of the race that was on their territory and um it was a dutchman that won it uh matthew van der poel on the last day um yeah big solo break 40 k's to go did i think what is commonly known in the sport as a van der poel um where he just solos off the front uh i mean we, we obviously don't have an amstel gold race this year but he kind of did um Treated us to a spectacle like he did last year. This that was, was an incredible finish at Amstel Gold last year because he rode and rode and then just out-sprinted everyone as well. well so, I mean, you can see the, the the riders coming into the finishing line and he is a couple of hundred metres behind when they almost launched their sprint. Well, not a couple of hundred, a fair few metres behind when they launched their sprint and then he comes running past and it makes no sense. Well, he, did, um, he did similar a few weeks ago at um, Tirreno Adriatico where he jumped off a chase group just hunted down and i think hunt is definitely the appropriate verb because it is just like a shark stalking them from behind um, uh, and then just flies past them down the finishing straight he somehow manages to bridge the gap at sprint speed and continue it to the line <laughs> what i love as well is that you can see in his riding that he i mean you talk about all these people that come from cyclocross and and use their techniques you don't really see it in peloton racing when they're in the middle of the peloton van der poel in the big bank tour on that final stage stage five um when he's coming he's you, if you watch the highlights i don't know if you've watched it at the time he is genuinely he's hopping onto curbs and then taking the corner on the apex it's he's such a good uh, bike handler it used to be the mountain bikers i remember you see guys like um Cad Evans was always one who was considered for, for one of the GC guys he was an unbelievable descender because he had this past on the mountain bikes and the cyclocross just seems to be another step up from that as well it's just crazy what they can do on two wheels and sometimes one 
Yeah, I mean, we, we touched on it, I think, last episode about Van der Poel and cyclocross. I actually looked up a couple of numbers because all I knew was that Van der Poel and Wout van Aert, more Van der Poel, dominated cyclocross for the last, well, seven to eight years. Did you know, in 2012-2013 season, Mathieu van der Poel won 30 out of 30 cyclocross races that he competed in? I No, I did not. Um, in 2017 to 2018, he won 32 of 39. He's a serial winner. <clears throat> what are the other riders doing? I don't know. They, just, they must be. They must. <laughs> you must start on the start line, look over your right shoulder, and Mathieu van der Poel stood there in the rainbow stripes, and you're like, "Well, we're racing That's for second." It's so demoralising when you're racing for second. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, I think that's the bink bank done. I'm not going to linger on the bink bank. Um, flesh well on. Tom, do you want to Great race. Through? Great race. Um, up the murder, we, the we. I did that last week as well. You got it last um, week. You had to two stabs at it this week. Um, yeah, fantastic finish. Uh, Mark Hershey won the race and it, such a late sprint. I, I know it's all relative when you're crawling up a 25% hill, uh, but he must have launched his sprint from only about 50 meters to go. And uh well, stuck it to the line quite nicely. My predictions uh, didn't pay off too badly either. I'm going to get that one in there early this week. Well, um, Dan, Dan Martin missed out on the podium kind of narrowly. He missed out on the podium, but he finished fifth, which for a one-day race, fifth out of whatever, 200 starters. Uh, I don't know what the exact number is. That could be way off, but I'm pleased, I'm pleased with fifth. That's not a bad shout. If I'd, gone to the book, if I'd gone to the bookies and put it each way, I would have got some money back. <laughs> um, I, was, I watched the... Um, flesh uh femina before and watching anna van der bregen she kind of got into a rhythm and just powered up the murder and i was like well this is going to be i mean she made it look very easy owns that race well this is the thing she made it look very easy but then you could see behind it i think the, the rider that came in second was cecily trip ludwig um and she is throwing the bike between her legs like hanging over the handlebars trying to like pull it up this hill and van der bregen is in a rhythm and i was like well I kind of hope that didn't happen in the men's race because it's the, the dominance is a bit uh, doesn't make for no. an exciting finish. But um, the, the men's race was a straight shootout between five or six of the big guys. But a sprint it was twenty percent gradients. Well, it was Pagacha tried to set it down early. He wanted it fast from the bottom of the hill because it's one point three, one point four k at an average of getting on for ten percent. Obviously, with just with these sections that ramp up so much. Uh, <clears throat> And it's the first time I've really seen him. He just didn't seem to have that punch, you know, the raw power that you need. It's not the same as 15K up one of the Alps just to get that uh, sudden burst. The man you want really is Julian Alaphilippe, but he wasn't there. He was at uh, Liège, Bastogne Liège, making uh, a nuisance of himself. But we'll he, come on to that. He's an absolute fool of himself, yeah. <laughs> no, no, look, this is the thing. As I say, my love for Julian Alaphilippe is an emotional roller coaster, and I admit that. And he, you know, we were at the summit of it last week. Now we're on one of the drops. Um, yeah, because he is what we call in the sport panache incarnate. Panache incarnate. He, uh, yeah. <laughs> he um, yeah, the panache wasn't so much there on that final stretch of the Liège-Bastogne-Liège. Um, Tom, do you want to talk us through those final 500 metres, what we saw? <laughs> well, difficult to really because objective, I be objective. have... No idea what was going through his head. 
at any point. When the, the way he moved across the line, awful. The way he celebrated early and lost the race, awful. Um, panache, that's called panache. <clears throat> I just don't know if, you know, first race in the uh, rainbow jersey got to his head a bit. He obviously wanted to cement it with a win and, um, well, didn't. Even if he hadn't been relegated for fifth place for the illegal sprint, he still managed to lose it on the line to Roglic, who just powered through. Who can blame him, though? I mean, you're wearing the rainbow jersey for the first time. He's got the way well, he thinks he has the chance to throw his arms wide, get that picture framed on the mantelpiece at home. He's obviously made a bit of a fool of himself. It's such a rookie error. It was Eric Zabel was the famous example who did it at uh, Milan San Remo, wasn't he? And uh, got pipped on the line by, <laughs> I think, Oscar Freire. Um, but I'm not sure because that was a long time ago. I'm not sure. I mean, we talk about Alaphilippe. <coughs> Most importantly, I'm delighted to see Primoz Roglic smiling again after um, the look of despair yeah. on his face after stage 20 of the Tour de France. He could have spiralled after that tour loss, but he didn't. He obviously went over and congratulated his countrymen on the win as soon as he could. He was in good spirits the next day, and he's come to these classics and ridden really well in all of them so far. Exactly. Which, it was very important for him, I think, to get a win early after. I, say Tour de, yeah. I was going to say Tour de France loss. He didn't really lose the Tour de France as much as Tadej Pogacar won it. He won, um, yeah, he was beaten rather than he lost it. Exactly. Um, did you see in the he, he, at, at the dinner with the Jumbo Visma guys, he stood up and gave a kind of victory speech and uh, in his standard Primoz Roglic monotone voice said, finally, I managed to win something and got the most like <laughs> kind of hopeless <laughs> laugh from the rest of his team. Like, yeah, poor guy. Oh, that's fair enough. You know, it's a sense of humor as well. Um, I say it's not, it's not so much like a redemption story for him, is it? Cause it's, it's, you know, he's going to revisit this, that tour of the tour next year and every grand tour in the future and every race he ever rides, but it's, it must banish some demons. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, I hope Primus isn't listening when I say that I don't think he'll ever get a better shot at the Tour de France than that. But um, No, nor a better team around him. Yeah, and I'm not sure Liège-Baston-Liège is a good compromise for what happened. But um, he'll take it. First Slovenian monument, so he's got that. I don't know. For the, for the sort of rider he is, obviously being a GC rider, you want the Grand Tours. But it doesn't get bigger for one-day races than Liège-Baston-Liège. It's the oldest of the five monuments. It is one of the monuments. Um, I know you don't talk about it in the same breath as Flanders or Paris-Roubaix, but uh, it should be. It's up there with those, with those two yeah, the spring classics. It's a huge race. And it's I, in Belgium. You know the Belgians love it. Um, I feel like um, Primoz Roglic obviously won it, but somebody that was kind of denied a chance at it was Mark Hershey. Um, could have done the double in the week. Flesh Willow and Liège-Bastogne-Liège. Well, if we're going to talk about riders who have done the double there, you know who's going to come up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, because Hershey was moving up on Alaphilippe as well. I reckon he did have him in the sprint. Uh, So you'd be really frustrated if you were him. But having won three days, four days previously and being a young rider, you know he's going to get another few bites of the cherry. So expect to see him back the following year. 
Yeah, he's put he's put an end to his season now. Um, he's that. decided yeah. he's due a break. I think he's due a break. He went quite deep in the tour and then decided to race these sprints up twenty percent gradient. So, um, well, he seemed to treat the tour as twenty one consecutive one day races. <laughs> Some uh, people do. Yeah, good for him. Um, I and saw. Actually, sorry, go on. I was going to say about Mark Hershey. I saw interestingly that um, his UCI ranking, although not necessarily the best measure of how good a rider is. Um, has in the last year he so in last year in September he was 149th he is currently 11th that's a that's a meteoric rise then isn't it but it's amazing that's what a, you know a stage win at the Tour de France a win in the classics uh, a podium at the world championships it's, it's been quite an impressive six weeks for him really hasn't it it does an impressive from him and from Sunweb I mean Sunweb are looking now at an unlikely Giro kind of GC contention here that they probably weren't expecting is, before. This is before your man joins them next year as well. Before my man Roman Bardet, oh, he'll win it. He's going to win. He's going to do the triple. He's going to do the Chris yeah. Froome. He's going to win all three. <laughs> and hopefully they do this thing where they all they have all the Grand Tours back to back, so Roman could just cycle kind of between the countries, win all three, collect all the jerseys, back home to the middle of France, put his feet up, finish in Paris at the end of a sixty-three day Grand Tour. <laughs> Ideal. Him, and he takes a sprint on the Champs-Élysées as well. That's what yeah. we're predicting. <laughs> um, shall we talk Grand Tours then? If we must. Right. I feel both of us are slightly embarrassed now. Uh, I, I feel, I'm speaking for myself, but I feel like I can't speak for you. Um, our predictions on the last episode were, respectively, I said that Miguel Angel Lopez would take the GC. Um, he lasted less than 10 minutes into the race. He was the first rider to abandon after uh, a worrying crash on the opening time trial. Um, on a straight Tom, road. On a straight road. Yeah, I was looking into today what had happened there. Um, it's, he obviously was going over bumps. I think what happened was yeah. you have kind of three contact points with the bike when you're riding. You've got your, where well, you're sat on the saddle, you've got the pedals and you've got the handlebars. He decided what he'd do is he'd come out of the um, aero bars and into the kind of normal handlebars to navigate down this bumpy road. What he didn't anticipate was that as he took his arms off the aero bars to get down onto the normal bars, his bum also kind of jumped off the saddle. He lost two of his connection points with the bike, leaving just yeah. his, his, his pedals. And um, just that's what led to this kind of weird crash with <clears throat> his bike. It's just really unfortunate timing. Yeah, it flew away underneath him. He went off in an ambulance. Um, he seems to be fine now obviously he's, I think that's his season over and perhaps is the end of his time with Astana which he won't be happy about well he won't be happy about it ending like that but um, yeah it's a shame no but he'll be snapped up by probably Ineos let's be honest if there's, if there's, a, if there's a GC guy going and he's South American they'll, they'll throw some money at him <laughs> exactly <laughs> um, your prediction was uh, Geraint Thomas who time trialed very well Turned out very well. Yeah. And then crashed yesterday in the neutral zone. <laughs> that wasn't the one that got him, though. I thought it was. Have you seen it? Have you seen it yesterday? I didn't see the neutral zone one. Oh, it's nasty. The one Wait, where he goes... I thought he crashed he goes, twice. No, that was reported, but then he only crashed once at the beginning of the day. That was... So the one with him falling... Well, hitting the just as they, falling just off. Just as they crest that hill and he falls and you can hear the woman screaming in Italian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As you would yeah, expect no, that, that, that was in the that was in the neutral zone. I didn't realise that. I thought that was kind of coming up towards the end. They're chasing Caicedo up the front. 
I didn't realize that. So he rode no, the whole stage with a fractured pelvis and road rash all up his side. Yeah, ah. got, to the, got to the top of Mount Etna with a broken hip. I'll tell you what, that's quite impressive. You, if you cycle up a volcano with a fractured pelvis. He, um, he seems to, he's obviously really not happy. Uh, I was going to say something a, a bit less PC there, but because um, he did, he instead and uh, tweeted this morning saying uh, he's just done with this year. He was at the airport. Um, I don't know flying to where Spain, I assume, link up with Bernal and Froome for a triple pronged attack at the Vuelta. Oh, yeah. sure a bit early, maybe. I mean, the Vuelta yeah. starts in just over a week. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm no doctor, but I don't know how long a fractured pelvis takes to, to mend. I imagine uh, yeah probably probably quite painful as well especially for riding a bike <laughs> um, <clears throat> no but he um, he said he was in the form of his life the same form that he was in when he won the tour and uh, he's absolutely gutted that it's happened the way it has because it, again such an unfortunate crash um, is it a, a bumpy roads potholes um, <clears throat> you know there's no reason for a bead on to be on the road 2k into the neutral zone there's no riders done with his drink by then it's obviously just come off going over a pothole or over a cobbled street in this old italian town and he's ridden over it at the wrong place and just come flying off his bike yeah that seems to be what that seems to be the consensus online is that mm. he's hit a pothole it's jumped out of the bottle cage because i think there were a few bottles in the footage there's a couple of bottles kind of yeah there were. going across the road um, and he's hit one and then hit... And there was, someone said there might be Coke cans as well, but I don't know. Not great marketing for them if it was. Yeah, well, Coca-Cola have always had a marketing nightmare. No one ever drinks it, so... <laughs> I think talking about uh, Garrett Thomas's crash brings us in nicely to a game I have planned for you, Tom. You have a game planned for me, do you? Yeah, as always. Um, <laughs> the format this week, right, is... A, is almost like it's not a true or false it's an either or one um it's about Garrett thomas um crashing not sure as a cycling tom i hope he does listen to the podcast because he gets a lot of love but he won't appreciate a lot of free time now as well (laughs) he won't appreciate the fact that i'm um making light of his misery with um silly games um so tom fordyche of the bbc said once that Garrett thomas is blessed with talent but cursed by the rider it made him Garrett Thomas has crashed a lot in bike races. So I've come up with a game uh, called Crash and Finish or Crash and Abandon. Um, We're going to go through some of his uh, races. And obviously, there was a lot to choose from here. Um, You can play along at home um, or, you know, on your commute or jogging around the park. Just shout the answers out. Uh, Tom, you don't have to shout. Um, So the first one. I was, going to, I was just going to say the name of the race, but that's not very memorable. I and mean, I can't even remember what happened in the Giro two days ago. So I'll say the name of the race and then kind of what happened. And then you have to tell me whether he crashed and finished. Well, he obviously crashed. Whether he finished the race or whether he abandoned the race. Okay. So, uh, Tour de France 2013. Garrett Thomas breaks his pelvis on the opening stage. Crash and finish or crash and abandon? Finished. Yeah, that's quite a famous one. He um, finished yeah. 140th overall. That's not bad. I don't know what his... Obviously, I can't remember the individual stages and how much riding he had to do as a domestique or if it was just every day, just fight through to Paris. 
Yeah. I mean, he can't have been much help with a fractured pelvis. Was that riding for Froome? 2013 would have been Froome, yeah, because Wiggins won it in 2012. So there you go. Um, number question number two. Parry Roubaix, 2018. Uh, he fell on the opening cobble sector because they were mud covered. Abandoned. He did abandon. Yeah, that's yeah. two for two. Um, not really much to say for that one. He got picked up and uh, driven home. Um, Parry Roubaix, pretty par for the course, isn't it? <laughs> It's, yeah, it's almost like uh, you wear it with pride, really. They should give you a T-shirt for it at the end. Um, uh, it, was Matthew, it was Matthew Hayden said the year he won it. I know he was quoted like one piece of advice in this race, Parry Roubaix, and he just said, uh, always keep riding. doesn't matter how many times you go down, just get back on the bike because everyone else is going to fall off as well. It's about, this is the thing. Remember when they, was it 2018 at the Tour? Or was it 2019? Not even that long ago. Um, where they had a basically they had a Paris Roubaix stage in the first week of the Tour de France. Was that not? They've done that. The the year that Nibali won was it not? Froome crashed out on the cobbles as well when they put them in. I can't remember, but they had one recently where I think Bardet punctured three times. A couple of the big G's. I think oh, Richie right. Port crashed out. You, I see why you remember it now. Then yeah, it's not fair if, if that's happening to Roman Bardet. Um, right, back to the game. You've got two for two. Um, Tour de France, two thousand and seventeen. Um, Garrett Thomas was brought down by Rafa Micah on a descent on stage nine. 2017? 2017. So what year are we now? 2020. Okay, so he won it in 2018. He definitely finished then. Uh, I'm going to say he finished. No, he abandoned. Um, he broke his collarbone. He had previously crashed on stages two, four, and eight. Uh, then stage nine is brought down by Rafa Micah. You might remember that was the same stage where, where they're descending, where Dan Martin and Richie Port collided. And Not the hit. one where, Morf, where um, Port flew into the side of that. Um, that was a nasty crash. Exactly. Yeah, that was later yeah. on in the stage, I think. Um, okay. That's one where Port goes into the, the rock face at the side and is put in a neck brace. Yeah, oh, that was what it looked like he'd broken every bone in his body. Yeah, um, which obviously... Uh, Chris Froome decided to do two years later. Well, not decided, but that happened. Um, yeah. Sticking with the Tour de France. Tour de France, 2015. Um, stage 16, Garrett Thomas crashes into a telegraph pole on the descent of the Colden Mans after, uh, after Warren Buggy kind of comes around, shoulder barges him accidentally because he overcooks the corner. <coughs> Garrett Thomas hits this telegraph pole, goes over the side. I remember this. Uh, did he finish the race he, did he abandon the race I remember the crash and I'm going to say he finished the race yeah he did finish yeah. he finished that one um, I didn't know what injuries he's had I think he managed to escape the one relatively unscathed but um, obviously not ideal when you hit a telegraph pole cycling your bike no I would try to avoid them <laughs> um, right now this will bring us back around to the Giro Giro 2017 um, stage nine uh, Wilco Kelderman of, now of Team Sunweb uh, I think it was Sunweb as well at the time um, bounces off a police motorbike that's parked at the side of the road but kind of encroaching onto the road um, and Wilco Kelderman bounces off it into the sky train and knocks down a few of the sky riders including Garrett Thomas 
does Gary that. Thomas. Oh, you do know this one? No. Oh. But I'm gonna confident I'm gonna state my answer confidently anyway. Go on. He abandoned. He did abandon. Yeah. Yeah. He but he didn't abandon straight away on this one, which is what I thought would happen this year. He rode stages ten, eleven, and twelve and then abandoned. Uh, well, they said with, the, with, um, the with this one today, I don't know how they obviously x-rayed him last night and said it's going to be pending further evolution. But I was like, what can you do with an x-ray that doesn't spot a broken pelvis the first time and does the next time? Yeah. I mean, surely he has to kind of go on feel. I, I, I mean, I was going to add another question for that one. I mean, I, I planned this game last night before we'd found out that Garrett Thomas had abandoned and I was going to say, Giro 2020, is he going to abandon or is he going to finish the race? There's not really much pride in it when you're 11 minutes down on the GC. You're almost a kind of waste of the resources of your team if they have to look after you. Yeah. Um, which means, I guess now... And they do have plan B, Ineos, don't they? You know, this, as soon as it became apparent that uh, G was in trouble yesterday, they sent Castroviejo straight up the road, said, right, one of you attack. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, but do you think Castroviejo will really be a GC guy? I thought more kind of Teo Gegenhart. Yeah, it will be Teo Gegenhart, I think. But I just think in terms of yesterday, as soon as they, they didn't have the leader to necessarily protect yesterday, they just sent one of them up the road and be like, right, go on, try at least try and salvage something. Yeah, do you, do you, I mean, do you think they will salvage something from it? Should we, should we, I think we get the chance to pick new favourites, really. When, when, if our, both of our favourites have crashed out, do you want to have a yeah. new favourite? I I've already got one in mind. Right, go on. Uh, I fancy Nibali. Oh, this Italian is the same. home soil. The annoying thing Especially about this Sicily as well. Yeah, the annoying thing about the Giro, this one not annoying thing, but it's not now. We're not really left with kind of the big riders of the moment. Nibali was big in the <clears> kind of early 2010s. Christvike <laughs> hasn't won anything. Um, we don't Jakob have these Fulsang. kind of like big, yeah. Jakob Fulsang wins a few classic. Has Jakob Fulsang ever won a grand tour? I don't think he has. This is they said the, um, it would like having had this, you know, just not a renaissance. It's a new naissance of uh, young riders come through that the combined age of the five in the GC group who got to the top of Etna yesterday was 171. <laughs> I saw something online where somebody described, I think it was Fuglsang and Nibali kind of attacking each other. Somebody said it was almost like two lorries trying to pass each other. Which isn't really fair. It's just big, big diesel engines. Yeah. So we've got, we're going to have a, I think we might have a diesel winner, but I think also that means that it does leave it quite wide open because I, I said, they're not getting on, but they're like, you know, 35 a piece maybe you you got your eye on a younger man then <laughs> simon yates um i'm a big fan of simon yates but i think i mean he is still quite a bit down on the gc at the moment um he's almost four minutes down but i think he's capable i mean that's four minutes down on the leader which is still well it's like three minutes down on nibali and the gang i think the guys who matter yeah yeah but when you look at the Giro d'Italia's of the last few years, they've all been won. Well, I say all, both of them have been won on mad solo efforts. Obviously, yeah, Chris Froome. Making Fru- up a huge deficit. Yeah, where you kind of write them off the GC, then they go for this crazy solo effort and they 
suddenly in pink and nobody can take it off them. This is what happened with Chris yeah. Froome. It's the same thing that happened to a lesser extent with Richard Carapaz last year, where he just attacked off the front one stage, put in a good few minutes to everyone else and suddenly found himself in pink going into the last couple of stages. Yeah. So I think, and we've seen, obviously we've seen Simon Yates do that at the Tour de France where he goes off the front and wins stages. We've seen him you know, win stages comfortably and get in a good rhythm when he won the Vuelta. And that's what I was going to say. He has the pedigree. He is a Grand Tour winner. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Matt White, his director sportif, was shocked when he was dropped yesterday. They just didn't see it coming at all. He was obviously just having a bad day. It does happen sometimes. Happens to him a lot of the Giro as well. That's what happened in 2018 when... Um, mm. Froomed it and then he started hemorrhaging time after that. I mean, that was the last week. Hopefully, hopefully it was just a bad day and, you know, he can kind of claw it back going forwards or we might just find out that he's not got the legs this year. And well, uh, he won, he won Tirreno Adriatico, whatever, three, four weeks ago on the same Italian roads with the same team around him and against the same guys. He beat yeah. Ryan Thomas into um, second place. So Sometimes. he's obviously got the form. Yeah, it's um. I don't know. He's he's my pick. I'm going to say well, my new pick. My pick originally was Miguel Angel Lopez, which we both lost those ones. Um, I think Simon Yates will do a mad okay. one. We'll do a Vanderpol and uh, and take it. No, I'm looking forward to the shark of Messina powering up that diesel engine. <laughs> he, um, I mean, is he from Sicily? Do you say he's from Sicily? He is from Messina. Is that where Messina is? My geography in Italy is so bad and it's being exposed on this podcast. Messina is at the, is at the uh, most northeastern point of Sicily. It's the closest town to the Italian mainland. Okay, so he'll be quite happy with that. Where, where you get the ferry to and from across the strait, the strait of Messina, it's called. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, he'll be quite happy with how this week, there's the first three stages, four, three stages. Yeah, he four will be. Stages. I think Nibli is. 57 seconds off, Le Ma- off the Maya Rosa, which at this stage is absolutely fine. Yeah, it's good. I mean, yeah. it has all been on home roads in Sicily, um, which it's obviously a beautiful place to go on holiday and pick lemons and have a San Pellegrino. But is it really suitable for bike racing in October? Uh, well... Apart from the road surface issues, which have caused the bidons to become unlatched and taken a few people off, the winds seem to have been a problem today as well. Yeah, exactly. The winds been terrible today as well. When they go, went over the big mountain and came down the other side, it was wet. It looked cold. The roads, the surface obviously is terrible. But like when when you have these cars driving under them, the oil that spills off them, as soon as that gets wet, it's so dangerous. And um, I think there was a bit today where they kind of come, they came down the mountain as they were descending, they came down the mountain in through a little village. And it was like the road had almost like wasted away and these like big slabs underneath were kind of exposed. And they looked so, it looked like riding on like marble in the wet. It looked, it looked so slippery Ooh. and um, it looked very dangerous. And obviously it's quite exciting for viewers to see when it gets dangerous and the descents get a bit hairy obviously I, there are some people that do a rain dance every year when Paris Roubaix comes around because it would be exciting to see oh, yeah. almost bloodbath that would happen but at the end of the day you've got to almost think about the wait well, I say almost think you have to think about the rider safety and when riders like Garrett Thomas break their pelvis for a second time you need to be thinking actually is this safe 
Well, it's um, it's difficult. It's that first stage of the tour round Nice got very sketchy very quickly when you got the Mistral flying through the valleys and the, then the rain comes down and uh, you're in the hills just above the French Riviera. It looks pretty sketchy. It's good. I mean, we had quite a lot of um, wind in the tour, actually. This, I think the next bike race we have coming up, apart from the Giro and the Vuelta, is Gent-Wevelgem, which is known lovely as Belgium kind of like... Classic. A lovely Belgian classic. But it's known as like the crosswinds race or the echelons race, if I remember correctly, because it's lovely always Belgium. just incredibly windy exciting phenomenon in bike racing echelons nothing is more interesting some riders though it's a cur Thibaut Pino in the tour 2019 lost it in the echelons you can lose a race in the echelons conversely I have never seen Mark Cavendish on the wrong side of an echelon I don't know he was he was always towed towed into the front group 15 riders he's the only sprinter in there that HTC Columbia train just takes him to the front of the race and he's un- he has an uncontested sprint for the win lovely he's a little bullet though I mean he's not going to be as affected by it. both of us we're quite big blokes um you know at, <laughs> yes we are beyond the six foot the, the well, I say between but we're both above six foot an echelon with us it's like a, it's like taking a piece of paper up into the air like we're just there was there was I mean there was a case today it wasn't an echelon but um in, in the Giro with the winds just to show how much kind of it can affect riders. Again, it wasn't the wind, but, um, with the Vinnie Zabu riders at the finish line, um, Van Empel and Wackerman who crashed after a helicopter, uh, the downwash of the helicopter with the air, uh, blew the barriers onto the course. Is that what it was? That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was wind. No, no, no. The, the, Cause they were along the coast, but it was the, the helicopter was flying too low. The downwash, blew the barriers onto the course. They crashed. One of them was in a really bad state. I think they're talking about a fractured cheek and him not remembering, him not remembering ever competing in the Giro this year. Um, obviously, the, the team haven't given an official statement yet, so we can only um, speculate as to what happened. That's but, a really nasty concussion if, uh, if it's not something more serious. Yeah, I, I'm just getting almost quite fed up now of in bike racing, there seems to be these massive mistakes from the organizer's point of view that are putting the riders' lives in jeopardy. There was a Fabio Jakobsen crash, obviously, where the, the barriers weren't in properly. Now we've had this where the helicopter's flying too low. There needs to be some responsibility taken with these. You just don't, I don't know how much everything's been rushed uh, with the getting racing back on, back on the roads uh, since restrictions have been lifted because the Giro, like, you know, it's the second biggest race that there is. And it's normally fantastically well organized. And I, these three or four days on Sicily have seen quite a few incidents. Yeah, I hope it levels out a bit. Um, then we'll have the Vuelta as well. They'll overlap. So that's a lot of organization to, to figure out. Then obviously we've got Ronda van Vlaanderen and Paris Roubaix at the end of October. Um, in between that, you've got some of the, the less well-known races. There's so much going on. It's obviously very exciting, but it also means there's a lot of planning. And when little things get kind of looked over or people have a lapse of concentration, like, for example, the helicopter driver, driver, rider, chauffeur, pilot, pilot. that's the one. <laughs> um, it gets dangerous. Um, but yeah, anyway, let's talk about safety. Well, obviously, we need to talk about safety because that's very important. But what is also important is style. 
Um, I don't know where this is going. I am a very big fan of Team Education First's style. They're, you know, very a la mode. Yeah, or lack of. That's the issue. (laughs) Their new kit has certainly ruffled some feathers. Um, (laughs) No, there's a few of these. You're going to have to put up with this. Um, It's ruffled some feathers um, and on the opening stage, racked them up quite an expensive bill. Um, Did you get that one? Bill, yeah, duly noted. Um, 4,500 Swiss francs, which in real money is 3,800 quid. Um, that's what they had to pay for not registering their kit on time. The kit we're talking about is a very outlandish, garish, um, kind of purple polka dotty, orangey red with a big duck on the front. Um, not it's a collaboration with uh, Rafa, Rafa, what's their name? Well, Rafa do, the, Rafa do their kit, but it's the collaboration with Palace, which is a skateboard company. <laughs> that's it but it was uh, sorry i was getting i was getting the logos mixed up rafa do the kit then, yeah. then there's the big ef with the duck perched on it then there's some random faces on the sleeves i tried looking it up but i couldn't figure out who they were i think they're like skaters i imagine um they, they must be but they look to me like indian cricketers <laughs> <laughs> i mean we could see that overlap in the future i'd welcome yeah. that um but no they this is the thing i don't think um there'll be two I mean Jonathan Voters took to Twitter and was saying that you know I can't believe that they've been fined this this well, they, denied, they, they denied any wrongdoing they said they'd submitted everything on time anyway yeah well really I think at the end of the day it's going to be uh, water off a duck's back because the money that the partners are gonna the partners like Rafa Palace uh, are gonna get from the branding and the marketing is gonna be 10 to 100 times that so whatever find them 3,800 quid do you, do you think They'll, they'll sell more than whatever a hundred of these jerseys that's literally uh, it's a, yeah it's a front wheel on one of their bikes yeah that's all that money is the, i was looking up the jerseys because um i'm quite a big ef uh, fanboy with their with their clobber and their jerseys are going on so what they've done is that palace only do limited edition runs of clothes so they decided to stick that with this stick to that with this and they're only doing a limited edition run uh, very, very exclusive limited numbers only to members of the Rafa Cycling Club. Are you a member? No. It's really expensive. Oh. <laughs> so I'm not going to get one. And these things are going to be going on eBay for like 500. I think it's going to cost like 250 quid a jersey, minimum, maybe 300 quid a jersey. I think you'll pay that as well. I absolutely wouldn't. I could not afford that. I th- that would cost <laughs> more than my bike is worth. And I can't wear a t-shirt that's worth more than my bike. So... Um, yeah, we'll see. Anyway, we'll see how it goes for them. They won a stage. They'll be happy with that. Um, Kaiseido no, but will... It's so frustrating, isn't it, that um, Kaiseido, who won the stage, is wearing a national champion's jersey anyway, so they don't even get the full effect of the of he's... whatever it is they've created. <laughs> he's still, you know, showcasing that aquatic bird on the front. Yeah. The, the issue now is that he's not, he, doesn't get, he doesn't have to... I mean, he might be really pleased. Maybe that's why he won the stage, so that he wouldn't have to wear that jersey anymore and he could wear the uh, Maglia Azura instead. Good for him, if so. That, I think, is uh, is all we've got time for today, Tom. Um, do you want to run us through the socials where people can find us? Yeah, at TTPDCST, TT Podcast with all the vowels taken out. Instagram, Twitter, get in touch. Uh, give us your 
positive thoughts only on what we've said today and what you'd like to hear in the coming weeks. And send a note to Tom, who is recovering from uh, quite a deadly disease. Not for you, obviously, hopefully. But, um, you know, spare a thought for Tom. Send him a message on, on, our, on our socials. Um, likewise... I will be locked in my room in a flat in Newcastle for the next at least 10 days. So, yeah. yeah. You'll, you'll never see somebody reply to a tweet in such speedy timing as you'll be able to do it from now. Well, I've, I've got previous for replying quite quickly anyway. Um, likewise, if you feel so inclined, um, you've obviously managed to get to the end of this episode, so you haven't turned off, which is a good sign. Um, if, if you, if you, you know, have positive things to say about us, then please do leave us a, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It, it means a lot to us and helps us a lot as a growing podcast. So um, anyway, Tom, any, any closing thoughts? No. Uh, see everyone next week for more stuff to say about the Giro, I'd imagine. Giro and Vuelta next week, it will be. And Vuelta. So um, cool. We'll speak then. Everybody take care. Thanks a lot. <laughs>